Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. How's it going, Buff Nation? Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast. We are, of course, presented by the American Raptors at Infinity Park. Head on over to AmericanRaptors.com, stream all their games, or grab a free ticket. You can also check out our weekly DNVR rugby podcast hosted by our guy, Colton Strickler. He's got exclusive interviews with athletes and coaches. You can also learn rugby with Colton's 101 Rugby podcast. Make sure you subscribe there. My name is Jake Schwanitz. We have a loaded show today, tons of stuff to get into, a little bit of breaking news off the top. Um, We've got some awards from the CU Football Banquet that we will talk about. Uh, We also had a basketball game last night, CU prevailing over Yale, 65-62, to we'll get to that. Then we'll get into our Pac-12 recap, which is sort of going to be all over the place because we've got coaching updates at Arizona State, at Stanford. Um, we also have some news from Auburn that's relevant for CU and some more Deion Sanders talk that we will get into. And then we get into the meat of the recap. We start talking about the playoff, the Pac-12 championship game. So as I said, tons of stuff to get into. Hope you are all doing well, having a great day, a better day than me at least. Got to do... Uh, bunch of car work this week got to change the brakes got to change the insurance got to register the car man being an adult sucks so we are going to procrastinate that and talk about some football and we start off here with the breaking news that just came down minutes ago Um, it is just about 6 p.m on monday casey roddick the team captain for the buffs in 2022 he has spent the last Five seasons in Colorado. He is entering the transfer portal as a graduate transfer. Because he is entering as a graduate transfer, he is allowed to enter the portal immediately. Something that isn't allowed for all other players until December 5th for regular transfers. Just looking back on Casey's career, he joined the team in 2018, redshirted. Played in all 12 games in 2019, started two against Arizona and Oregon. As a sophomore in 2020, started all six games at guard, played in every snap in five of the six games. He missed 10 against Stanford, was named to the honorable or an honorable mention for the all Pac-12 team that season. 2021, played in all 12 games on the offensive line for the Buffs and started the final 10. Uh, This is a guy who's been through a lot. He overcame COVID, had some complications that occurred from that during the pandemic, responded well, took back his position on the field. Um, If I'm remembering correctly, his page on the roster hasn't been updated yet. But if I'm remembering correctly, he started all games for the Buffs this season. He was moved around a lot, uh, moved to tackle at times as the Buffs were trying to figure out who to start at quarterback earlier in the year. He represented uh, CU at the Pac-12 Media Day in July this year. Just a great guy, too. Someone I really enjoyed talking to. A true leader of this team. Was not afraid 
to say what had to be said. I think back to that Air Force game, his comments in the post game just, I mean, it was a tough year. It, it got worse, but just how sick of the losing he was already at that point. Uh, so we wish Casey the best as he moves on to his next venture. Um, as I mentioned, he was a great interview. I love talking to this guy. So he is going to be missed in that regard off the field and also on the field for the Buffs. We'll see if Casey can land somewhere that can really help out his draft stock, though. If he can put together a nice season of film uh, next year, then that would do wonders for his draft stock. Um, I don't know if I'd call him a draft prospect at this point, uh, but he is certainly one of the better offensive players for the Buffs, or was one of the better offensive players for the Buffs. And he moves on. We're going to stick with football here. Because the team had their banquet on Sunday. Tons of team awards given out, including team MVP, offensive player, defensive player, special teams player, outstanding freshman. We'll get into most of these. And we start off with the Zach Jordan Award. It's given to the most valuable player every season for the Buffs. This year, Josh Chandler Semedo earns the honor. He had a a great year and came in really what he set to do. He led the team in tackles with 95 total tackles, had 11 for a loss, two and a half sacks. He had one interception, one pass defense, one fumble recovery also. I think he filled that void that Nate Lamon left in the middle of the defense, at least on the field, really well. He was also a great leader for this team in terms of stepping up to the podium and to the mic after games and during the week to answer the tough questions. Well-deserved, I would say. In terms of outstanding offensive players, the John Mack Award, they give this one to Alex Fontenot, who really came on strong in the back end of the year. Of course, battled through injuries after that Air Force game, but really, really turned it up for the Buffs in his final few games. Uh, finishes as the team's second leading rusher with 315 yards. He averaged 4.9 yards per carry. He had a team-high five rushes for 20 yards plus. He also caught six passes for 56 yards. He wraps up his Buffs career with 1,558 rushing yards. It places him 29th on CU's all-time list. And he also scored 84 points. That puts him 67th on CU's scoring chart. In terms of all-purpose yards, 1,829. With 46 receptions, ranking 68th, tied for the 12th most by CU running back. On the defensive side of the ball, the Dave Jones Award for Outstanding Defensive Player goes to Safety Trevor Woods, um, an underclassman, a sophomore, who came in and when the Buffs had injuries at safety when Isaiah Lewis went down, he really stepped up and filled that void. He finishes the year with 84 tackles, 66 solo. Uh, he also missed the final two games due to injury, or he was back. He missed um, the two games before that, I believe. He recorded a team-high 11 touchdown saves and added eight third-down stops, five passes broken up, two forced fumbles, and an interception. The biggest play, potentially of the buff season, too, also coming from Trevor Woods, that pass breakup in the end zone against Cal to solidify that win. The Bill McCartney Award for Special Teams Achievement goes to Torrin Pittman. We'll run through a lot of these much quicker here. Lee Willard Award for Outstanding Freshman. This goes to Van Wells. Could have easily gone to Jordan Tyson too, but Van Wells, a great season from him coming in as a true freshman to solidify 
the middle of Colorado's offensive line. The Darian Hagen Award, this is given to the most dynamic offensive player. That was given to Jordan Tyson. Don't need to tell you guys too much about him. He's just phenomenal. Of course, went down with the injury and hopefully back early enough to make an impact next year for the Buffs. The Dion Figures Award for the most dynamic defensive player went to Nico Reed. Tom McMahon Award for dedication and work ethic to Daniel Arias and Guy Thomas. The Offensive Trench Award, the most outstanding blocker, went to Brady Russell. And the Defensive Trench Award for the most outstanding defensive lineman goes to Jalen Sami. Some academic awards, the Dean Jacob Van Eck Award for academic excellence goes to Joshka Gustav, the outside linebacker. The This is one of my favorites, the Tiger Boosie Award. Inspiration in the face of physical adversity goes to Deion Smith. Well-deserved there. Of course, the scary situation on field that we watched take place against Cal. He bounces back and gets back on the field for the Buffs. I think he ended up being the leading rusher on the year. And then speaking of Casey Roddick, he earns two. Uh, the Eddie Crowder Award for Outstanding Team Leadership went to him. And the best interview selected by the media went to Casey Roddick. Um, the Buffalo Heart Award that's selected by the fans, that goes to Brady Russell. And that pretty much puts a bow on this season for the Buffs. Um, if you want to get into the stats real quick, JT Shroud's going to end the year as the leading passer. Only through seven touchdowns, eight interceptions, 1,220 yards. Owen McCown ends the year, 57% completion, 600 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. As I mentioned, Deion Smith is the leading rusher. 393 yards on 83 attempts for 4.7 yards per carry and two touchdowns. He also added 11 receptions for 84 yards. Anthony Hankerson came in third, offered all in fourth. Leading receiver on the year, Jordan Tyson, of course, only put up 22 receptions, 470 yards and four touchdowns. He missed the final three games of the season, of course, due to injury. He would have been on pace for much, much more. Montana Lamonius Craig comes in second place, 23 receptions, 359 yards, and three touchdowns himself. Already went over uh, Josh being the leading tackler on the Buffs defense. He's also the leading sack guy for the Buffs this year. Nico Reed has the most interceptions this season for the Buffs with two. Also led the team in passes defensed. And then Trevor Woods led the team in forced fumbles with 22 that being said, man, as I said, there's tons to get into today. It's a packed show. Let's get on to this basketball game from last night. The Buffs win 65-62. to It was really close down the stretch. I believe CU was a nine-point favorite coming into this game. They obviously do not cover. They struggled defending Yale's John Palakitas. He went off for 22 points, hit eight of his 12 field goals, and was six of eight behind the arc. He was a terror for the Buffs. As a team, Yale only hit seven of their 23-pointers, but it was a low-scoring game, and they were in it until the very end. On the Buffs side, Tristan Da Silva, probably his best game of the season so far, came out really aggressively, and it's something he talked about in the post-game, was that he and Coach Boyle had these conversations about Da Silva trying to be more aggressive and doing more as a scorer for them. He leads the Buffs in this one 20 points on 8 of 15 field goals. He hit 1-3. Was 3 of 5 from the line, had 6 rebounds. That was a team-leading figure there. KJ was doing some things too. Uh, the handles were on display. 
He hit one three, but was only four of 10 from the field. He did have three assists also. Two turnovers too. Only 18 turnovers for the Buffs in this one. They were really clean holding on to the ball. Uh, Yale was just feisty, man. I mean, early on, it was, I can't remember exactly. It was had to have been a 10 to 12 point lead that the Buffs had. And then Yale hit four three-pointers in a span of like two minutes, closed the gap immediately there, which I can't remember exactly at halftime. Well, here it is. It was 38 to 28 at halftime, a 10-point lead for the Buffs. Yale actually outscores Colorado in the second half, 34 to 27, but it wasn't enough to win the game. Some other guys, Javon Hadley came back. It was nice to have him back. Coach talked about him and just what he brings after the game. He had 13 points, was five of six from the field. Also added five boards. The team just really missed his physicality and toughness when it came comes to rebounding the ball, defending under the basket, um, making plays on the scoring side under the basket too. The Buffs really missed that the last two games, um, especially when De Silva went out in the Boise State game too. Not having Hadley or De Silva was pretty critical for the Buffs. Both guys are back healthy now. It seems. Luke O'Brien continues to struggle. He had zero points, was 0-2 from the field. Uh, not really sure what's going on there. That was someone who Tad really talked up coming into the season as the team's best shooter. Neek Clifford hasn't really done too much either compared to last year, only seven points last night. If you can just get some of these guys to really step their game up and play at a more consistent level on the bench. Um, I know Neek's a starter, but if you can get Luke to play some good minutes. Uh, Hadley, as I mentioned, came off the bench. He played some good minutes. Gabadon started in his place. Gabadon didn't have a great game against his former team. He was feisty on defense and making some plays, uh, those smart basketball plays that we see him make, but only two points for him. He did add five rebounds, though, and two assists to that. Ethan Wright came in. He wasn't really hot last night either. He did hit a three. Um, In the moment, it was big, but only ends up with five points in the game. Just going to the post game and what coach had to say about the performance. Um, he really praised Yale, saying that they're a really good team. And something that I saw talked about on Twitter today that he mentioned too. I mean, he really loaded this schedule up. Didn't say he necessarily regretted it, uh, but just said that, man, this team's really in the thick of it right now. You got two league games coming up this week. You got Arizona State on Thursday, Washington on Sunday. So still big games to come. And then, of course, next week, the game against CSU in the CU Event Center. So still tons of big games to check off for the Buffs before they really get into the thick of it in Pac-12 play. In terms of the press conference, I think that's really it. Coach also talked about the shooting struggles. I mean, it's an area that the team struggled in last year under the basket in terms of their layups. They were, I think, 15-31 last night, too. So still struggling in that department. They struggled to hit threes too. Coach feels good about the threes, uh, the looks that they're getting at least. It's just a matter of hitting the shots. But he did mention the the toughness that this team needs or that certain players need in order to finish better under the basket and give CU some of those more easy high percentage baskets. He also ended it, um, a question from Pat Rooney from the Buff Zone. He asked him about Coach Sanford and just... uh, all the noise surrounding CU in the head coaching position right now, Coach Boyle really praised Coach Sanford. That was cool to see. Um, but as we all know, I mean, 
Coach Boyle is a huge football fan, and he mentioned that multiple times talking about this and just hoping that this roster can stay together, keep these young players together. As we move on into the Uncharted Real quick, before we continue on with the show, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at GameTime. They're the hottest new ticketing site that makes it easier than ever to score the best deals on tickets to sports, concerts, and shows. You won't find a better deal of the season on CU Buffs basketball tickets. Just click on the link in the description or in the article on the site for this podcast. You'll see the GameTime link. Click that. It goes straight to the CU Buffs hoops tickets. You can scan through all the games there. Maybe you want to catch a road game too. Make sure you use Game Time. If you love DMVR, then you'll love Game Time. The best way to support us is by buying your tickets through the link in the description. As I said, join over 15 million people who have downloaded the Game Time app and score the best seats to all your favorite events today. Also, shout out to our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Right now, everyone can boost. Their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Also, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $100 in free bets if they do. Tons of great deals at DraftKings Sportsbook. Hope you guys have been having a successful year on the lines, keeping that bankroll up. As I mentioned, we hit on our pick of the week last week. So this week, we are going to stay in college football. We're going to go to the American Conference title game, UCF at Tulane. Tulane, three-point favorites in this one, but we're going to go to the total. We're going to go under 57. This line was set really low when they initially played. I took that over. That one hit, but now it's set pretty high at 57. We're going to bounce back. And try to to catch the wave on this one and go against what the line says. We're going to go under the 57-point total. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code DMVR. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Again, that's only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code DMVR. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Alrighty. Meaty segment one. And it's going to stay meaty on the bone in this second segment we're going to get into this pac-12 recap and sort of update the coaching scene within the conference and so we start at arizona state arizona this game taking place on friday a fun game too both sides really improving down the stretch of course arizona fires herm edwards They have a bit of a quarterback controversy. Bourget was benched at one point a few weeks ago. He's back in. He played well. Delora played okay. Not his best game. But let's get into it. Arizona's first drive was an absolute strike, and it's on the ground. Michael Wiley runs it in from 51 yards out to give the Wildcats a 7-0 lead. Next Arizona drive, the Sun Devils hit the punter, but the returner fumbles the ball. Arizona takes over from the ASU 40-yard line and cashes the turnover in for a field goal to lead 10-0. Arizona finally responds. X Valade runs it in from four yards out to cap off a 10-play 75-yard drive. That makes it 10-7. Next drive, Delora throws. Um, they're down near the goal line, I believe, eight yards out or something like that. He throws into the end zone. It's tipped by a linebacker and intercepted in the secondary while the defender's in the end zone. After the touchback, Arizona State takes it 80 yards. The length, The rest of the length of the field... A four-yard screen from Bourget to Badger results in a 14-10 ASU lead at this point. 
Arizona drives down in 75 yards and seven plays to go up 17-14. ASU's next drive is a long 72-yard drive that ends in a nine-yard Bourget touchdown pass. Then in three plays, Arizona answers back with another Wiley touchdown run, this time from 12 yards out. Arizona State then fumbles the ball. Arizona capitalizes on a huge touchdown run from Michael Wiley. He scores from 72 yards out. Arizona is up 31-21 by 10 at this point. The Sun Devils score on their next two drives to take a 35-31 lead midway through the fourth quarter. ASU commits two 15-yard penalties on Arizona's next drive, and the Wildcats ground game pick up another touchdown, this time thanks to DJ Williams. The Cats lead 38-35 at this point. Bourget has a few chances to win this one for the Sun Devils. He is sacked and fumbled after the Cats go up. And then on the next Sun Devil drive, he throws an interception. The Wildcats hold on. They win the 2022 Territorial Cup by the score of 38-35. Decent game from Bourget, 37-49 passing, three touchdowns, two interceptions, 376 yards. Delora didn't do much, as I said. He's 12 completions, 23 attempts, 200 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. It was all Michael Wiley for the Wildcats. 12 attempts, 214 yards. 17.8 yards per carry average for him on the day. Three touchdowns also. X Valaday with a nice day. He had 24 carries, 97 yards, two touchdowns. Not really much to talk about in terms of the Arizona receivers. As I mentioned, it was not on or through the air that Arizona did their damage. But Borgé passed well. Elijah Badger had eight receptions, 92 yards, and a touchdown. Jalen Conyers, 10 receptions, 76 yards, and a touchdown. But Giovanni Sanders led the team with eight receptions, 120 yards, and a touchdown himself. Three lost fumbles for Arizona State in this game. Just brutal. The mistakes really racked up and doomed the Sun Devils in the end. They only had one sack. That was from Tuatala Pesafia Jr. And then Arizona had two sacks themselves, Jacob Manu and Jalen Harris. Big win for the Wildcats. They finished the season 5-7. and seven. Arizona State finishes 3-9. and nine. The big news coming after this game. Kenny Dillingham hired at Arizona State. This was announced on Saturday. It was in the press conference room uh, after the Buffs game that we saw the news. So Dillingham leaves Oregon. He goes to Arizona State. He also retains interim head coach Sean Aguayo. I know the PHNX guys are all hyped over there over this hire. We'll see how it works out. Kenny Dillingham, a alum of Arizona State. We move forward in this recap, though. To BYU-Stanford, why we're doing this? Because David Shaw announces after the game that he is leaving Stanford. Not much to really take from this one, but we'll get into it real quick. Jaron Hall has a nice opening drive, hitting some passes and running it in from 19 yards out to give BYU an opening drive, 7-0 lead. Stanford responds with a field goal. Next BYU drive, Hinkley Ropatai has a 43-yard touchdown run. Next BYU drive, the Cougars run a reverse flea flicker. Hall hits Isaac Rex for 43 yards and a touchdown. BYU is up 21-3. Stanford finally builds some momentum on offense with a nice drive. There's 11 plays, 75 yards. Ends in a touchdown, but they miss the extra point. BYU mounts another long drive before halftime. Hall finds Rex for his second touchdown reception. Scores 29-12 after a Stanford field goal to end the half. BYU scores again at the top of the fourth quarter to make it 35-12. Stanford scores two touchdowns late, but it is not enough. The Cougars beat the Cardinal 35-26. Jaron Hall, only 7-11 of in passing. 
93 yards and two touchdown passes, though, both to Isaac Rex. He had two receptions, 44 yards, both touchdowns. Tanner McKee played well, 31 of 40, passing 313 yards, one touchdown. Leading receiver, Bryson Tremaine, 11 receptions, 130 yards, one touchdown for the senior wide receiver. BYU really just dominated this game, though. They had three sacks on the Cardinal and just did it all on the ground, really. 358 rushing yards as a team, 50 attempts at 7.2 yards per carry. Three runners scored touchdowns. Jaron Hall had 11 attempts, 69 yards. And a score, a dominating win for the Cougars. But the big news, of course, as I mentioned, David Shaw leaves Stanford. Just seemed like he was burnt out, too. If you watch what he said after the game and just how he's feeling and the toll that coaching, being a head coach, takes on not only the person, but the family surrounding that coach, it just seems like it was time for Shaw to take a step back. Hopefully we see more of him. I really enjoy him when he's on television talking football. Maybe we see him there. Maybe he makes a return to coaching at some point. He is still a fairly young guy, I believe. I'm um, just looking it up right now. He's 50 years old, so he definitely has enough time to get back into the coaching game if he wants. A really solid football coach. I think someone that just got hampered by those transfer rules that Stanford has. Um, CU fans, you guys know plenty about that. But Stanford has it just about the same, if not worse, with their academic requirements. We'll see. This program's really in flux now. It's going to be a huge hire for them. Um, they also have to adapt as a university to this ever-changing college football scene. But it is Stanford, so we know that academics play a huge role there. We're going to kind of stick with the coaching carousel here. We'll get to the rest of the Pac-12 recap, but Auburn also hired Hugh Freeze away from Liberty. Liberty, I mean, blown out by New Mexico State. Obviously, Hugh Freeze had other things on his mind. He goes there. The reason I bring this up is this is a big, big team off the coaching carousel in Auburn, a team that could have potentially gone after Deion Sanders and offered him a fairly competitive package to what CU has offered, uh, rumored to have offered. So good news for you Buff fans. It seems like that's another team that we don't have to worry about. One of the bigger ones too in the SEC where Dion is from and has been coaching at Jackson State. And about Dion, today the news came out that he has acknowledged CU's coaching offer. Interesting stuff because... As you all know, we've heard a lot of noise about this coaching position, about Deion Sanders. And it's nerve-wracking to say the least because it does seem like we're going to have to wait until after this weekend when Jackson State plays in their conference title game. This report coming from Kyle Mosley. He is a writer uh, that covers HBCU teams. Also has done stuff uh, covering the Saints, I believe, too. But seemed like he got to speak to Coach Sanders today um, and asked Dion about the, the rumors, and Dion flatly just said the report is true. So honestly, don't really know what to make of that. I mean, he's acknowledging the offer. He's acknowledging Colorado wants him. Um, didn't downplay it, but also didn't commit to Jackson State in that moment. So encouraging i guess if you want to see it that way but still notable 
Before we wrap up the recap this week, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DMVR, where beers are on tap and regular seltzers are being sold in the bar. You guys know we love our Breck Brews at DMVR. Um, You can drink some awesome good company hard seltzers, the Avalanche Amber Ale, Juice Drop IPA, my personal favorite, the Mountain Beach Sour, or Strawberry Sky Vanilla Porter Jr. You can find all those great beers at Breck Brews Beer Lake Locator. That can be found at www.breckbrew.com. Use that to find a Breck Brew near you. All right, let's start to wrap this show up. We start with the, the big one this weekend in terms of the playoff. Number 15, Notre Dame traveling to Southern California to take on the number six Trojans. It was a strong showing from Drew Pine at quarterback and Michael Meyer at tight end for Notre Dame. They pushed USC, but Caleb Williams... When you look at the box score, it's a fairly pedestrian passing game. But man, he just made some jaw-dropping plays with his legs. Uh, Running the football beyond the line of scrimmage and making plays behind the line of scrimmage to throw it. He is just incredible. USC's running back Austin Jones led the way with 25 carries for 154 yards. And USC's run game again proves that they are forced to be reckoned with. Let's get into the game. Off the top, Caleb Williams just doing some crazy stuff, improvising, He leads USC to an opening drive touchdown. USC tacks on a field goal on their next drive to take the lead 10-0. Williams was just, as I mentioned, just incredible all game. Just running around behind the line of scrimmage, um, extending plays, finding receivers downfield. It's just a pleasure to watch, honestly. He's so much fun. Notre Dame responds in the second quarter with a good 9-play, 80-yard drive that ends in a 22-yard touchdown pass from Pine to Meyer. Williams responds, making some more incredible plays, and eventually pulls the ball on a read option from five yards out to extend the lead back to 10 points. It's 17-7 at this point. Start of the second half, Pine fumbles the ball for Notre Dame, and USC recovers. They respond with their explosive running game and go up 24-7. Notre Dame then answers back with Drew Pine's second touchdown pass, but then Williams is able to respond with some insane plays again for his second rushing touchdown. Trojans go up 31-14. Notre Dame answers with another touchdown drive, but a pine interception with five minutes left in the fourth quarter essentially ends the game. Caleb Williams gets his third rushing touchdown, this one from 16 yards out to put the game out of reach. USC wins 38-27. As I mentioned, you look at the box score. Caleb Williams, only 18-22. Great efficiency, but only 232 yards and one touchdown. He did his damage on the ground. Had three rushing touchdowns, nine carries for 35 yards. As I mentioned, Austin Jones really kind of carried the team at running back. Jordan Addison, only three receptions for 45 yards. Mario Williams, only four receptions, 37 yards. Brendan Rice, only one reception for 25 yards. On the other side, Drew Pine played really well. 23 of 26 passing, 318 yards. He had three touchdowns, but he did throw that interception that really killed any chance of Notre Dame coming back. They had a strong fourth quarter, but that interception really ending it there. Michael Meyer, eight receptions, 98 yards, two two touchdowns for potentially the best tight end entering the NFL draft this season. Two sacks on both sides. Tuli Tui Peloto continues to cause havoc for the Trojans. He had another sack of his own. Isaiah Foskey, the standout edge for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, had one and a half sacks, two and a half tackles for loss in this one. USC really just flexed their muscles. Um, They only outgained the Irish 436 to 408, though. It was just dismantling in terms of the run game. Those turnovers proved very costly for Notre Dame. And that's just USC's MO. 
They don't turn the ball over and they create turnovers and that's what's allowed them to win so many games this year. Of course, you go back to that Utah loss, but they have a chance to atone in the Pac-12 title game against the Utes this weekend. Uh, I believe the game's on Friday, actually. We'll talk more about that, maybe preview it a little bit towards the end here. But moving on, we have number nine, Oregon. The Ducks traveling to Corvallis to take on the number 21, Oregon State Beavers. Bengal Branson only goes 6 for 13 for 60 yards and two interceptions, but the Beavers' running game and defense allow them to beat Oregon and Knicks despite three turnovers from Oregon State. The Beavers open the game up with a field goal. Knicks and the Ducks respond with an explosive drive that ends with a 44-yard touchdown pass from Knicks to Chase Coda. OSU responds by only throwing two passes for one completion and six yards, followed by nine run plays to get the ball into the end zone and take a 10-7 lead. We fast forward to the end of the second quarter. Oregon goes 13 plays, 95 yards, a monster drive to score a touchdown off a seven-yard Knicks pass to Coda. The Ducks go into halftime up 14-10. Oregon gets the ball to start the second half. They punt, but Goldbranson throws an interception to the Ducks on Oregon State's first play of the half. Oregon takes it back to the Oregon State two-yard line when the Ducks run it in on the next play. They go up 21-10. Oregon State punts. Oregon responds with another touchdown. It's 28-10. The Beavers fumble, and Oregon adds on another field goal. But, man, credit to the Beavers. They kept chipping away, and on their next drive, they get a 43-yard run from Damian Martinez. He scores, or they score three plays later. The lead is cut to 31-17. Oregon only gets a field goal on their next drive. The Beavers get a big kick return for 48 yards, and then Oregon State runs it in. Um, in three plays, scores now 34-24. to 24. The Ducks go three now, and their punter fumbles the snap on fourth down. That gives the Beavers the ball at the Oregon two-yard line. Two runs, and Oregon State scores another touchdown. All of a sudden, the lead is cut 34-31. to 31. Oregon tries going for it on fourth and one at their own 29. They fail to convert. Four more Oregon State runs, and the Beavers take the lead with just over eight minutes to play. Oregon has a long drive to get into Oregon State territory and have four goal-to-go chances inside the five but cannot score. Oregon State takes over with about two minutes left. They run the clock out. They win the Civil War this year. The Beavers end the season with the same record as Oregon, 9-3 and three for both teams. This Oregon State team, the turnaround that they have done has just been awesome under Jonathan Smith. The program that they have built And the toughness that they have now is really something that needs to be accounted for as we go into 23. Damian Martinez had 15 carries, 103 yards, no touchdowns. Jam Griffin had 8 carries, 75 yards. As a team, the Beavers rushed for 43 carries, 268 yards, and 5 touchdowns in this game. As I mentioned, Gobranson didn't do anything, but he ran into quarterback sneaks for touchdowns. Through two interceptions that... Almost were costly enough to lose this game for the Beavers. Bo Nix, actually a solid day. He looked to be a little bit better from that ankle injury. Only 27-41 passing, though. He did throw for 327 yards and two touchdowns. Chase Cota had a big game receiving for the Ducks. Nine receptions, 136 yards, and a touchdown himself. Troy Franklin, a nice game. Eight receptions, 78 yards, and a touchdown. But man, it was a great game. I hope you guys watched that one. It was a lot of fun. Oregon State's comeback was just masterful. The way that the defense dug deep was awesome and inspiring stuff. In terms of total yards, Oregon outgained the Beavers 470 to 328. 
It was really just those aggressive attempts, again, that we've seen with Oregon. They go for it in these fourth down scenarios sometimes, as opposed to just punting the ball and playing the field position game. And it's really come back to bite him in the butt a few times this season. So Oregon's Pac-12 title hopes dashed in the final game of the season, losing to their rival. We move on to another rivalry game, the Apple Cup. Washington, the number 13 team in the country, traveling to Washington State. Washington State opens the game up with a field goal. Washington punts, and then Washington State punts. The rest of the first half is a track meet, however. Penix throws for two touchdowns, one from 26 yards out to Jalen Polk, and another from 47 yards out to Rome Odunze. He also runs for two, a 30-yarder on a throwback pass play, and then a four-yard touchdown run. Cameron Ward runs one in from 14 yards out. He also throws two touchdowns in that span, a 34-yarder to Robert Farrell and a 15-yarder to Nakia Watson. At the half, it was a really close game, really exciting game. This was uh, probably the last Pac-12 after dark game, I guess, we get until September. Man, that hurts to have that realization. But at halftime, Washington leads 28-27. to But then it's all Huskies in the second half. Washington gets the ball first after halftime, and Penix hits Jalen McMillan, and he scores a touchdown from 75 yards out on the first play to put the Huskies up 35-27. to Washington State responds two drives later after a Washington fumble. Nakia Watson runs the ball in from four yards out, but Washington State goes for two. They fail to convert. The score is 35-33 to at this point. Penix throws an interception, but Washington rolls in the fourth quarter with 16 points. The Huskies win 51-33. to Michael Penix finishes the day 25 of 43, 485 passing yards. My goodness. Three touchdowns, one interception. Wayne Tualapapa had 13 carries, 126 yards, and a touchdown himself. Penix also added two touchdowns on the ground, five total for him in this one. Big game for Roman Dunze, five receptions, 157 yards, and a touchdown. Jalen McMillan had a great day, six receptions, 150 yards, and a touchdown. Jalen Polk also had four receptions, 82 yards, and a touchdown himself. Cam Ward played fairly well. He went 33 of 52, 322 yards passing, two touchdowns. Nakia Watson, 15 carries, 73 yards, and a touchdown, but it wasn't enough. Washington wins the Apple Cup. On to our final game, number 18, UCLA, going up against Cal, the Golden Bears. We start in the third drive of the game. It's the second UCLA drive. A series of Charbonnet runs get the Bruins deep into Cal territory before a DTR five-yard touchdown pass to Jake Bobo. UCLA misses a field goal on their next drive, and finally Cal's third drive, they break through with an explosive touchdown. Plummer hits Sturdivant on a nice vertical stretch concept. UCLA then misses a field goal, but Plummer shows off the arm again on the next drive with a nice 38-yard touchdown to Hunter, puts the Bears up 14-7. UCLA goes three and out. Plummer throws another dime to Hunter from 22 yards out. That puts the Bears up 21-10. UCLA has an explosive end to the half, however. They go 75 yards in five plays with a 19-yard DTR touchdown run. That makes it 21-17 at halftime. In their initial second-half drive, UCLA scores on a 12-play 90-yard drive. It's capped off by another 14-yard DTR touchdown run. Cal punts. UCLA punts, but Hunter fumbles the punt return. UCLA recovers. They score a field goal. It's now 27-21. Cal would respond again with a five-play 82-yard drive. Plummer played really well. He tosses another bomb to Hunter for 49 yards. Ott runs it in a couple plays later from eight yards out to finish the drive. Cal takes a 28-27 fourth quarter lead over the Bruins. 
But the Bruins score a touchdown on their next drive off a five-yard Zach Charbonnet touchdown run. They take the lead 35-28 after a successful two-point conversion. Cal has one final chance on a fourth and six. When Plummer checks it down to Ott, he actually gains the first down but fumbles. UCLA recovers, and that is the game. Probably the best game from Jack Plummer all year. He went third, 24 of 34 for 294 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Jaden Ott, only 13 carries for 55 yards. Jeremiah Hunter had a big game, though. Eight receptions, 153 yards, two touchdowns. On the UCLA side, DTR played pretty well. 21 of 30, 189 yards, one touchdown. He also added 88 yards and two touchdowns rushing on the ground on 14 attempts. Zach Charbonnet continues to be a bell cow, however. 24 carries, 119 yards, and a touchdown. Cal loses two fumbles. In this one, I mean, they had so many opportunities. They really should have won this game when you actually look at it in retrospect, just looking at the missed opportunities. UCLA really outgained the Golden Bears, though, 541 to 361. They ran as a team for 64 attempts, 352 yards. Just hard to keep up when that is the total on the ground against you. That is going to do it for today, guys. What a long one. We are over 40 minutes at this point. A lot of stuff going down in this final, I don't want to say regular season week, because it is conference championship week. Um, We'll talk about the Pac-12 title game. We have USC-Utah in another rematch. This one should be fun. Um, The last game that these two two teams played against each other was really fun. This one, of course, taking place in Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. It's going to be at 6 o'clock on Friday. I believe the line is only set at 3. I've been on the Trojans all year, and I think that they're going to get it done again. So I would take that line, I think, if I had to make a choice on this game. Of course, the playoff standings will come out tomorrow, so we'll see exactly if USC is in play to make the playoff. Uh, They are behind LSU. They're also behind Ohio State. Ohio State, of course, lost. We'll see. That'll be the big one if USC is ranked in front of them in the playoff committee's eyes. Just looking at the Pac-12 standings here, end of the regular season, USC goes 8-1 in conference. They would win. I don't know if the Pac-12 still awards regular season titles, but they would have won that. Washington actually comes in second place. They lose the tiebreaker, however, to Utah which places the Utes in the title game. Strong years from Oregon State and UCLA, but they still only finished middle of the pack at 6-3. Washington State below them at 4-5. Arizona State, a nice bounce back for their program this year. They go 3-6 in conference. Cal and Arizona State, only two wins in conference. And then, of course, Stanford and the Buffs, only one win in conference. That's how it's all going to shake up for the Pac-12 this year. Doing these has been a lot of fun. It's been really helpful for me too, just getting engaged on the conference, learning about some players, going into the draft and all that. Hopefully you guys enjoyed these recaps throughout the season. I'm going to get out of here though. Enjoy some Monday night football. Hope you all do the same. We'll be back on Wednesday. Till then, Scobuffs. Buffs.